Hi, and welcome to House Call, our podcast designed to help you navigate the New York City real estate market. I'm Andrew Fishkind, as always, here with my co-hosts and partners, Carl Eckroth and Emily Margolin. Hello. Hey, everyone. So today, we are actually very lucky to have two guests, two of our favorite people, our executive sales managers of our West Side Office at Douglas Elliman, Amy Hill and Vincent Santoro. Hi, guys. Hi, thank you for having us. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Yes, thanks for being here. I feel like the best place to start is why don't you just introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us what you do and why you're the experts. I'm Amy Hill. I'm a sales manager here on the West Side at Douglas Elliman. What do we do? We do it all. We're here to support our agents and when there are issues and they need brainstorming, a seller's having an issue, buyer, renter, landlord, we're the sounding board because real estate is a lonely business. And oftentimes, not you guys, but a lot of agents sort of work alone and independently. So we're here to be the sounding board. I've been with Element for almost 15 years. I've seen a lot. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen everything. People who have done this for 40 years haven't seen everything. So sometimes people will surprise me. But for the most part, we've seen it all. And, you know, we're here to support. I'm Vincent Santoro, co-manager with Amy Hill here on the West Side. And lucky enough to have a collaborative partner with whom to work and assist agents through just about every aspect of a real estate transaction. We have the unique perspective of both having been transactional brokers as well as managers, right? I actually joined the company right around the time Amy did, about 15 years. We both managing for about five in various offices. So we get to look at pretty much every angle of almost every possible scenario. I will say that even after having been in the business for over 20 years, that something new pops up almost every week. And that acquisition of knowledge helps us to support our teams, which is you. (laughs) And we feel very supported by both of you. And I know that it's, I can speak for the three of us in this context, that we're thankful that you guys have the background in being agents and not just managing agents, because we can speak about specifics of deals and what's going on in the market at any given time. And you're both pretty much up to speed on it. You also get the perspective of other teams. I think it's important, right? And that's a big thing with Element, the people who are advising you. We've been there. We've done that. We've had those conversations. You can come to both of us with the same question. You'll ultimately get the same answer on how to resolve the situation, but we're going to go about it two completely different ways. And I think that's helpful to you as an agent and to a seller, because you may want to present both of those ways. Different strategies, but end goal is the same. Great thing about this business is that everyone's interests are aligned, right? Sellers want to sell, buyers want to buy, and brokers want to see the deal through to closing. I think something else that would just be helpful really in the market that we're on right now, because of the views that you both have, which is like kind of above an office of, I don't know how many, I'm going to say 200 agents, 300 agents, I'm being corrected off stage, 300 agents. (laughs) What do you think of the market right now? Buyer, seller, tenant, landlord, whatever perspective you'd like. That's a lot, right? It's a lot to unpack and, and everyone's sort of in a very different place, but there's movement happening, not as much as last year, obviously, but there's a lot going on. And it really just depends on on the product. Some listings are still having multiple bids and they're moving really quickly. And some are sitting for hundreds of days. I want to say it's kind of luck or draw. There's no true rhyme or reason as to why it's happening on certain listings. But the basics are true, right? People don't really want to renovate right now. They want something turnkey. They want something that's priced well. They want something that's new. If you have all of those, you're kind of at an advantage. So for some sellers, it's great. 
for others, not so great. Every buyer is out there looking for a deal, but I don't think that changes in any market. But a lot of buyers are still sort of at the sidelines and they're waiting for that perfect property to come on so that they can bid and they're ready to go and they're ready to have a bidding war and go at it and throw everything they have at it. But it has to be the right property. So no unrenovated properties is what you're saying. Don't take on any of those listings. No, 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 no. Listen, there is a buyer. There is a buyer for everything out there. It's just positioning. It's timing. At the right price. Exactly. The vast majority of unrenovated apartments that we've listed for sale in the last, call it nine to 12 months, whether it's a co-op or condo, doesn't matter the neighborhood, whether it's cosmetic or gut renovation, the vast majority of them have gone rental. Those will come back in a year or two when inflation's down, when the cost of renovation is down and uh, hopefully when interest rates are down. Prepping a property for sale is extremely important because people can't always see past wallpaper or an interesting choice of paint color. To put an apartment together to be presented as sort of neutrally as possible to have the broadest appeal, a lot of things can be fixed and a lot of barriers can be crossed with a simple paint job or floor sanding or removal of furniture emptying some closets out so people swing the door open and think, wow, there's a ton of storage space in this apartment. You want to create that perception that someone feels comfortable living there, that this is a place they could see themselves living. And oftentimes when a place is very specifically decorated or has perhaps very provocative art, it can be a turnoff for someone and they might opt to just walk out when it is on paper quite the perfect apartment for them. I'm so glad you mentioned that. It's really one of the things we tell almost every seller. Look, there's even if it's a minimal amount of staging, so to speak, whether it's caulking, grouting, painting, do it. In a more normal market with lower interest rates, I would always tell a seller within four to five weeks, I can tell you what's going to happen. I have a very good idea in the first 10 days of what's going to happen with this property, whether it's going to go to contract quickly or not. Well, just goes to the beauty of working with someone who's done this for almost 20 years. If you're working with a seasoned agent who has seen different markets and has a lot of listings and works with a lot of buyers in different price points, neighborhoods, then you're going to be able to see that in a week or two. That leads sort of into my question for the two of you. Obviously, whoever's listening should work with our team to sell or buy their next apartment. But because you've seen so many agents come and go, what would you say to someone who's thinking about hiring a broker, what they should look out for? Experience, for sure. You want someone who has a track record. If it's someone who doesn't have a track record, are they bringing in someone? And really, it's what is, seller, what is your communication like with the agent? Do you feel like when you're in that first listing presentation meeting, is there synergy? Do you respect them, really? Do they understand you? Do they respect you? Are you getting the sense that you have a common goal and that you understand each other on how you want to get it done, when you want to get it done? A lot of that's really important. Then obviously, the company they're with, their marketing, like all of that stuff is fine, but you're really hiring the person. Yeah, we, we basically all operate on a very similar platform, right? The large firms all have heavy traffic to their websites. They all advertise in a similar way, but it's that A, the experience of the broker or who they bring in with them. How you consume feedback from other brokers, I think is incredibly important and how you gather it and communicate that back to ownership. Sellers really need to hear everything, obviously in a tactful way, I guess, but maybe sometimes not. Uh, a reality check for a mispriced asset is certainly part of the conversation sooner than later. You are needing to identify and work with someone who, for lack of a better term, who you have a connection or a vibe with, because that is part of getting this done. You're going to strategize together somewhat. 
The person who's the owner is going to tell you every nuance about the apartment that maybe you wouldn't notice, the fixtures, the paint, the amenities in the building, what costs, what doesn't, the garage, the storage, all of those things are super important. And then you're going to go ahead and put those out into the public eye and present them on a very personal level on behalf of the sellers, right? You're really their proxy in front of any other buyer who walks through the door. I know when I first started in real estate or for junior agents, if your first clients are, which are typical for most of us, people that we already know, they can trust you to bring in the right people. They don't have to trust your market knowledge. They can trust you to get the market knowledge. They can trust you to bring in the people who can advise you on the staging or the how to clean the apartment out. I don't think that negates anything either of you said. I just feel like it's it really comes down to that ultimately. Once you've built trust, you can then tell the seller anything. You can tell the buyer anything once they know they can trust you and that you've got their best interests in mind. 100%. It's about building that rapport. The sellers who are listening out there, when you're interviewing those those agents, those brokers, I always say, be sure to really listen to the one that's actually listening to you. Right? A lot of brokers will go in there and they'll spend 5, 10, 20 minutes telling you what it's worth, what he's going to do, what she's going to do, how they're going to market it. But just as important as the sales price or a quick closing is what are the seller's motivations? Are they selling to buy? Do they have a timetable? Building that rapport from day one, from that first moment is something that's super, super important. Now we get to ask you to predict the future. Our favorite <laughs> No, I, it's what I, what I really would love. I'm curious about your historical perspective of where you think we are in New York. I, I know I grew up in New York City. I'm from Brooklyn, live in Manhattan. Every time somebody tells me that New York City is dead, I tell them I've lived through 16 deaths of New York City already <laughs> and it's still going strong. But the city things, in my own opinion, just to, to, to answer my own question before you guys do, is we never we haven't fully recovered from pre-COVID, but we're certainly a hell of a lot further along than we were at the end of 2020. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. Go ahead. We fully recovered beyond in 21. Change in lending put the brakes on the market hard. Fair enough. The good news about that, in my opinion, is that buyers are settled into that new interest rate. This is the norm. It's been a year. There's still interest, plenty, as you can see. And as Carl mentioned before, people are ready to buy. They're ready to make offers. Often, immediately, when the listing's out, you'll get the biggest push. But entertaining a first offer is, I think, always a good idea. Even if it's not quite, quite where you think you're going to be, it's certainly worth a conversation. Because in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks when no one else shows or traffic slows down exponentially, that's going to perhaps look pretty good. So the market is cyclical. Everybody says that. There's ebbs and flows. And the past five years really have been interesting to say the least. We've seen a lot of ups, a lot of downs. You know, if you think about the end of 2019 or 2019, it was a slow year. And then the end came and things were looking good. Everyone was doing deals. They were picking up. The beginning of 2020 was super strong. And then the bottom fell out. And then we couldn't even show apartments for three months. No one knew what the hell was going on. And then the summer hit, which is always a slow period of time. And then the market completely changed and we it went bananas. But we came out of those insane years. And as Vincent said, we have some challenges right now. But buyers and sellers are starting to wrap their head around the reality of what's going on right now. The, the funny thing is that 100% of the time, buyer expectations switch a lot faster than seller expectations, and that can cause a little whiplash. <laughs> so, it, it sure can. I, I and, and the other thing to keep in mind is perspective. The buyer is getting comfortable with the rate, this and that. They came from a really low place, historically low. But if you look at the interest rate, 30-year fixed, last 50 years, we're still below that 50-year average. And I think another thing, too, whether you're a buyer-seller 
renter landlords start doing a little more research than what you're seeing in the papers. Go look at websites like Urban Digs where they give a lot of historical data. Carl, you can pull out that stat because that's what you do. You're not just looking at what's in front of you today. Don't just look at some sites that I won't name. <laughs> right, because the Upper West Side market is different than the Upper East Side market. I always remind sellers that Lexington Avenue is only a block away from Park Avenue. Once the news is in the public media, it's old news within the market itself. Totally agree. And so with all the headlines right now are about screaming interest rates, well, we're already seeing them reduce from their highs, but everyone's talking about how the cost of borrowing keeps going up. And in actuality, we've seen that step back. You see a lot more from the listing side, from the selling side with the agents, because you have people pitching to, to get listings or how to price something or how to stage it or how to handle the seller. So I'm just curious if you've got any advice that you would give to buyers right now. Can I just take one step back sure, to sellers sure. again, really? Because you brought up something interesting that I don't really ever talk about. You each have very different backgrounds and you bring a perspective from that background and from your education, the same way that Amy and I both bring a different perspective to arriving at the same answer and your ability to pick things apart and explain them in a way that's uh, easily understood by a seller, I think is amazing. And by the way, that goes for buyers too, if we can segue into the buyer question now as well. I think with buyers, submit your offer. You see something like you think you want it, maybe it's priced appropriately, maybe it's priced too high, but get the conversation going. Or at the very least, use your broker to get the conversation going, even if you're not putting in an official offer yet. We get it, the agent sitting next to you is your competition, but they can also be your friend in a deal. We always stress to our agents, build those relationships, network with other brokers, because when you have a buyer that wants to put in a lowball offer and you're like cringing, if you have a good relationship with the seller's agent, you can go to them and say, hey, what's the traffic? What's it looking like? My buyer wants to put in an offer we're kind of around here. Is your seller going to be completely insulted and not counter? Like, what's the situation? As a buyer, you need to have an agent that's going to advocate for you. But don't be afraid of getting in. There could be pieces of your offer that really appeal to a seller too. A, a dramatically delayed closing, a full cash offer, a higher down payment, uh, proof of funds, things that are taking the uncertainty out of the transaction for the seller. Sometimes people have identified a place to move to. Sometimes they are selling and don't know where the heck they're going. So that ability to perhaps lease back after closing, if the building allows it, gives the seller some capital to execute and enter into another contract. And the buyer can perhaps capitalize on that in the form of, of the aggressive offer that they're coming to the table with. Many of you might not know, Vincent has more of a commercial background in brokerage, right? Or an yes. equal, at least? It's interesting because for me, that's where I entered the industry. I have a hotel restaurant degree and background. Some changes in life sort of pulled me out of that industry and thought real estate would be a great place to jump back in. So I went back to all my old friends in the restaurant business and started to work with them. Um, the sad thing is that I probably talked more people out of deals than into them because I perhaps had too much of a perspective on their operation versus their own, right? For the most part, everyone appreciated that. I'm still friends with all of them, though I for sure did not do business with all of them. When the market shifted heartily in 08, I, it was became sort of, you better get nimble, <laughs> survival of the fittest kind of thing. There was an opportunity to transition in what was an AIR building, which is a hybrid zoning of commercial and live, and it was 
someone's apartment that was being rented to a company as an office. That was the sort of the first domino that fell and gave me that entree into what turned out to be a little more than 50-50. I, I think after about three years, I was probably leaning more like 60% residential, 40% commercial. So what do you think about the future in com- of commercial in New York City, specifically um, office space? So it's difficult. For the first time in history, the office market has more sublet space than it does direct office lease space from landlords. So that creates a scenario that's pretty scary. Some companies are encouraging people to work from home. They're scaling back their office footprints. They're giving up leases. They're doing whatever they can. It's difficult to get people in five days a week. There will be some opportunities for buildings to convert to residential. There's some tricks to that. I mean, if you think about it, Soho is basically all a conversion of of commercial buildings that had the advantage of slightly smaller floor plates and windows that already open and close, which an office tower that's a curtain wall clad building as challenges beyond, like I think some of them might even get torn down and redeveloped. FIDI is the example of that. Like what they right. did in the financial district after 9-11 is mm-hmm. probably what needs to be done like in Times Square and Midtown area. Could be. No shortage of people supporting the retail in those markets, like Times Square yeah. or the Brooklyn retail market seems right. to be very stable. Dumbo, you can't even cross the street on a weekend. People are out there. Tourists are back shopping, everybody feels comfortable and safe again. So commercial from the retail perspective, better. Office perspective, very cloudy crystal ball. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. We see you every day. We will see you when this podcast is finished, but we appreciate you joining us here today. Thank Thank you you for having us. This is so much fun. Thanks so much.